Hello everyone and welcome back to the Film Score Podcast. I apologize a little bit, I've just caught a cold, so the intro might sound a little off. Luckily, won't affect this interview, which is the last one of 2023, and it's a good one. Because my guest today is Pulitzer Prize winning composer Michael Abels, who I expect you know from his work with Jordan Peele on the films Nope, Get Out, and Us. And so Michael and I do spend a decent amount of time talking about his work with Jordan Peele, his work on those films, their working relationship, but as we know, I think Nope came out sometime in 2022, and Peel has a film on the horizon scheduled for December or Christmas, I think, actually, of 2024. So, there are other scores of Michaels to really dig into. And in particular, he's recently released scores for The Burial and for Landscape with Invisible Hands. Unfortunately, we didn't have a ton of time to talk so we really get into the burial, but I'd recommend checking out both of those scores because not only are they both very good, but they're quite distinct from Michael's more well-known works. Really shows the breadth of talent that he has, as if winning a Pulitzer earlier this year wasn't an indication enough. And of course, you can find out more about Michael on his website, on social media. You can do the same for me. Like I said, this is the last interview of the year, although we're in mid-December, so shouldn't be too much of a surprise. I've got one lined up for early January, and then probably be taking a mid-season break. Hard to believe I'm already like nine or ten episodes into the season. It's really flying by. Hopefully it has for you in a good way. But sit back and I hope you enjoy. Michael, thank you so much for joining me today. How have you been? I've been great. Thanks for having me on. Of course. And this has been quite a busy year for you. I mean, you've had uh, two scores released, The Burial, Landscape uh, with Invisible Hands. You did some work on the film Chevalier as well. And then, of course, winning a Pulitzer earlier this year for your 2022 opera Omar. So... I mean, has this been kind of a, a whirlwind for you? Are you able to sit back and relax a little bit? Uh, I'm looking forward to it over the holidays. Uh, it's, <laughs> been, it's been a really uh, good year. I feel very lucky, for sure. That's awesome. And, and you know, it's it's something that I've, I think has kind of caught a lot of people by surprise because you've been working in music for so long, doing ensemble pieces, commissioned work since the late 80s, 1990 with Global Warming. But then for the the film, the scoring scene, it feels like you just kind of appeared out of nowhere in uh, 2017 <laughs> with Get Out and blew everyone away. So, I mean, this, like these last five, six years have really been, I don't know, just, just kind of wild. So is, does it ever feel a bit surreal to you seeing all this momentum these last few years? I'm, I'm trying not to get used to it, <laughs> if that makes any sense, because... I do feel like it's a blessing because now I have an opportunity to pursue a lot of things that I'd like to do, you know, that I, that I had begun to think were maybe out of reach for me and to discover that that's not true is wonderful. And so I have challenges like everyone does, but mm -hmm. they're challenges that I signed up for and I'm really happy about it. And so 
I just uh, feel blessed and hope that it can continue. That's great. And and when you say, you know, you weren't sure if you were going to be able to do some of these things, what do you mean by that? I mean, I um, I had wanted to be a composer since my, I think since since middle school. And I had been, and I wanted to write every genre of music. It did not <laughs> matter. I just wanted to write music. And I, I was, in fact, fascinated by the different kinds of genres of music as part of why I wanted to do everything. And so I did some some things, but I really wasn't able to convince anyone I could score their film in spite mm. of living in LA until Jordan Peele saw some of my concert music on YouTube and he had them hunt me down. <laughs> um, and so I, right about the time I had gotten tired of trying to explain to people that I really could score their film, someone decided that I could without me asking, which was the, a big surprise. But when it's unexpected, it's even more sweet. So here we are. And I love that. I mean, it's and not just the the unexpected aspect, but that it it ended up being one such a great score, but also that that opportunity came on such a great film as well. Where who knows what that call may have been about, and it honestly just seemed like such a sort of miraculous set of circumstances that have had astounding results. It absolutely did. I mean, I was I had lived in L.A. long enough to know a good opportunity when I saw one, and and Get Out read just as well on the page as it played as a film. I mean, you I read the script and I thought, I have never seen anything like this. And I I will do anything to help make this film successful. <laughs> I mean, if Jordan had asked me to sweep the floor, I would have done that because I just wanted him to be successful in what he was doing. And I figured it would be a, a really great film, but I also I had no idea the reach the film would have. You know, I couldn't I, I didn't know if anyone would really understand what it was about and what it was saying. And to discover that it really struck a chord with a lot of people was just incredible. Yeah. Well, and and I think you've seen that with all three of his films that you've worked on, they kind of get pigeonholed in horror, I suppose, but are all, you know, quite different. I mean, Nope is as much a, a Western, a cowboy film as it is a horror film or an alien invasion movie. And, and you mentioned a couple of minutes ago, having that desire of wanting to do music in every single genre and you watch nope you hear your score and yeah you have horror elements in it but you have some kind of classic western elements you've got all sorts of things going on so it's also really cool seeing these films and what your music is and that you have that sort of latitude to go across genre i suppose yeah exactly i mean it's a good thing Jordan Peele dreamed himself up because I could I could not have dreamed him up in terms of what an ideal collaborator he is for me because he is as much as I'm a student of musical genre he's a student of not only the film genre but culture genre mm. and he is he is he's just he's seen every film as far as I know <laughs> and he, not only has he seen every film, but he also understands the tropes of the genres that make those films what they are. Hmm. In my view, he has studied film genre every bit as much as as I've studied musical genre, just out of a fascination. And so I don't think that he, he obviously loves horror, but I think that that for him is, as we've seen like in Nope, it's just one aspect of what he does. Right. And he, I don't think he feels limited by genre. You certainly don't see it in his work, you know, in his body of work. And so I just feel like, well, if Jordan wants to mix genres and switch genres from one scene to the next, you know, I've got to 
I've got to be right there with him. He's got to, when Jordan switches genres, even if it's meant as satire or as homage, you know, yeah, I, the music has to go right with him. The music has to be as authentic as the production design and the writing and any other aspect that makes you suddenly realize that you're in a Western or you're in, you know, a sci-fi alien invasion movie or, or whatever genre he's choosing. So that's a huge challenge for me, but at the same time, it's one that, you know, I was always hoping to have. So it's been, it's been a beautiful collaboration for me. And this extends outside of just your work with him, but, you know, how do you overcome that challenge of jumping across genres, whether it's within a film like Nope, or, you know, you compare your music to Nope, to the score of The Burial and the score of Landscape with Invisible Hands, and they're all very different. Well, thank you. I, I mean, as a film composer, I think that's a, a compliment because I'm always, I'm always striving. The, the, mm. the ultimate goal is telling the story and not only just telling the story in a kind of once upon a time way, but telling it in the style, in the genre, in the production design of that film. Because music is in one, in one sense, it's auditory production design in that there's so much you get about a character and about their life experience that is not set. And you get it from looking at the environment in which they're in and some of their behaviors make sense given the context. And you don't even, mostly you don't think about that as an audience member and you're not supposed to. It's a, it helps you have an experience. And, and music, even though we don't have music narrating our daily lives, at least not in the way that film music does, it very much is part of the, the product. It, it gives you a vibe of a film and it helps you understand a character even if it's not music that the character is listening to, but if it's part of their zeitgeist of who they are and 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 how the story is told. So therefore, um, in a film like The Burial, the score is telling you that there's a long story here, but it's leading up to something. All these things that seem unrelated are going to connect at some point. And the music then helps you realize, oh, this is a piece of a puzzle. And this is another piece of a puzzle. And this is a third piece. And these things are going to add up to something. So the music for that film had to give you this sense of that you found a little gem, so to speak. Hmm. And it, that's a hard thing to put into words as to what that means musically. But there was a sort of formalness of a lot of the music. It's not, even though it takes place in the South, and in the hands of another filmmaker, there, the music might have been very Southern influenced in some way. But in the way that Maggie chose to tell the story, it's a story that's universal. And so the music isn't of a certain part of the country as much as it's from a certain way of telling a story, if that makes sense. You know, it's a way of telling a story that says this is going to be one of these chapter stories that is going to fit together at the end, just like a courtroom drama from the 90s or something. Mm -hmm. like it. And so because that was the production design of this story, that's how the score evolved, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I, and I was curious how the palette came about because... Obviously, most films have licensed music used in them, but The Burial has explicit references, and I can't remember the name of the song, but that track by Tony, 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 Tony. I, yeah. I feel good. Yeah, and Tommy Lee Jones and Jamie Foxx are, are singing it during the film, and you have a lot of church music and references to the, the black church and that music as well. And so did those things influence the palette or in keeping with the universality, did you kind of have to navigate those as well? 
Yeah, that's a that's a great question. And there would have been a way in which that's what the score would have come from. Mm-hmm. But because the story is meant to speak to people, the story is really kind of universal of one of exploitation and of two people of different cultures, you know, finding commonality and coming together to be David against Goliath. And everybody can relate to that story regardless of their background. It's just, it's, it takes place in a different place. So meanwhile, we've got this great 90s music as the song. So the first thing was to not compete with that and not try to pretend that the score is that. Like those are the songs of that era of those people. And there's no need for the score to try to be that. Just as there's, I think there's one cue where I was, I was deliberately got at the Hammond organ and kind of made it a little churchy. Mm-hmm. But that was only just in the one cue when it helped us lead into the next scene. It wasn't really part of now I'm going to pretend that we're in church, you know? Okay. Uh, because you see everyone in that environment in those scenes and it's very, feels very authentic and it doesn't need the music to help portray culturally how that is in the performances. What you need is you need the emotion about how they felt and being taken advantage of by this company that they trusted. And and so those emotions, because they're more, you know, because they're universal, they don't have to be painted in the music of those characters. Hmm. Your question was though, where did the palette, where did the palette come from? That's where it didn't come from. Where it came from was it started with a conversation with Maggie about a piece about Bach called Yezu Joy of Man's Desiring, which um, is one of his most famous works. Um, and I've always been a fan of it, but she had it and it's sometimes played on the organ. Hmm. And Maggie chose that to temp with at the beginning in an early cut of the film because she said, because this music's played a lot at funerals. And I hadn't thought of it that way, but yeah, it is played a lot of funerals. And the movie's called The Burial. And you know, it begins in Tommy Lee Jones's world in he's a funeral director. And even though the piece of music is actually very joyful, it just somehow the way it's soothing manner is why it's played in funerals. So anyway, the scene in which she had tempted went away. And the film didn't start that way. And the films go through a lot of iterations as they do. But the main title of, of the theme came from being inspired by that piece of music. And so when we, I got to the very end of the film, I put as the end title a piece of music where it is Yezu Joy of Man's Desiring, but it's also the main title of the film. And it's at the end. So you may have screened past it by the time it happens. But that was a way of placing the score, which has a lot of other things that are not that, just back to the place where it began during our evolution. And I thought that was so interesting, hearing you weaving the musical thematic material of the film into that piece. And it comes across really organically. And yet... Oh, thank you. It was really just interesting to kind of hear all of that winding around together. So what was your approach in combining those two musical worlds, we'll call them? There's, so there are these, uh, the, these triplets in Yezu Joy of Mass Desiring. And by triplets, I mean notes that go in, in groups of three. And so the main theme of the barrier veil, which you don't hear often in the film, is in the horns and it goes and therefore, in the one hand, it's inspired by the Bach, but then I had to kind of weave it into the Bach, and that's kind of a counterpoint lesson that you get if you're extremely geeky and go to music school and <laughs> learn how to do counter- counterpoint, which I must confess I might have had a class in that or two. 
So uh, the part of me that likes puzzles, I think that appealed to the part of me that likes to, uh, it's kind of, you do it with the musical part of your mind that might otherwise be doing like crossword puzzles or something. But there's a certain joy of sharpening the knife of your brain in that way. That's one of the things about music is something that parts of it that can be a very technical exercise mm -hmm. can end up being very beautiful in a way that's organic and not in which the listener is not aware of the uh, technical part of it. And I think that, that that balance is something that's always fascinated me about, about music. So music does not have to be complicated. It can be really just a few notes that are, have the right timbre that just really hit you emotionally. But it also can be really complicated in a way that <laughs> you wouldn't even notice if you're just focusing on the beauty. So hopefully in that exercise of mine, people just focus on that. It feels organic, like you said. That's why I was so complimented when you said that. Oh, well, good. And, and I can imagine the complexity and the time it takes to fit those pieces together, but it doesn't, when you're hearing it over the credits or just listening to it on its own, at least for me, I'll preface it by being a musical neophyte, but the complexity doesn't scream in your face either. So I, I think it worked. But, <laughs> but you know, it, it does have me curious of you mentioning that it's like fitting a puzzle together. There are a number of composers that, you know, like studying scores. There are score books released for the scores of various films. For something like that, where you're taking a, a famous pre-existing piece and then fitting the puzzle together, are you and you've done that with other cues, other tracks, other songs in the past, do you ever consider releasing the the sheet music for it to show how the the puzzle is made well i wouldn't i wouldn't object to it but it's mostly uh, uh, why am i having a hard time answering that i think I, it's hard for me to believe that anybody would be interested I, I know that can't be that can't be true because i'm the type of person who is interested but at the same time i don't believe anybody's interested so the sheet the original bach is a masterpiece and it's readily available everywhere so that's the piece of music that should be released, in my opinion. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll I'll move on, but I, I'll tell you, Mike, I can guarantee you'd be surprised the amount of people that I know that love digging into all sorts of scores, all sorts of film music. So I'll just say you'd be surprised. But Well, thank you. I, I partially, <laughs> I, I'm embarrassed because there's a place where I could not get out of having parallel fifths and still make the melody work. And for people who are music geeks, they'll know what that is. And so... To have to take Bach and violate this one rule that you're never allowed to violate, I was was kind of like a personal failure. So, if, but if people don't see the score, they won't know unless I blab about it on podcasts. So, anyway, we'll cut that out so no one knows you cheated. Okay, okay, thank you very much. <laughs> but you you did mention something a few minutes ago that I had been thinking about in a different way, and you had mentioned kind of not wanting to impede on all of the, like, those classic 90s tracks used in the film. And at the same time, the burial in particular is, it like it features so much of Jamie Foxx giving this just incredible electric magnetic performance. I, after I watched the movie, I was texting my friend like, God, I, I just can't believe how talented Jamie Foxx is. He's, he's just astounding. I mean, he, when he, he's astounding and... It's like a masterclass in everything that he does. And I, can, I can't even describe what he does in words, except that he's just electric as a performer. And I, I can't think of a role he's been better in. He just embodies this character and you root for him from the beginning. And I can still quote 
lines of his because they're just so great and the way that he delivers them and 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 people should see this movie for that reason alone yeah yeah i mean genuinely but because this is this film you're much more restrained in how much music you're putting into the film and so i was also wondering if part of that is to give space to the performance as well and to not impede or or conflict with it yeah that's exactly right i mean it's a different genre of film so it doesn't there's a lot of scenes that wouldn't call for mm-hmm. absolutely having score. Then you have, so one of Jamie Foxx's first big scene, it's not even the first big scene, his first big courtroom scene is, I think it's done in one shot, in one take, or or it's close to one take if it isn't. It's this incredible speech. And that was originally temped. And it was temped with classical music, not because that was his music, but it was because it made you aware of what a masterful performance he was giving. And so he, what the music was saying was what he's doing is every bit of masterpiece as much as this music. And it was, I thought it was wonderful. At the same time, you couldn't look at a filmmaker in the eye and say, this needs music because that scene right now, you know, in the film right now doesn't have music and it's spellbinding, you know? So you don't put music in just because you have a composer. You put it in where it can assist in telling the story. And what we ultimately decided was Jamie Foxx doesn't need much help. No. <laughs> <laughs> and now whether it's a scene like that or you know, speaking about the films you're working on more broadly, I, I think there is kind of an impulse for we have a composer, they're there to put music in the film. And I can imagine that when you're sitting there saying, no, we need less music, we don't need this we don't need anything here. It, it works on its own, and that can or maybe feel like you're skimping out on your job or something. But do you ever get instances where there's pushback on that, or how do you how do you work with a director in making that determination of of there should or should not be music here? Great question. Well, it's I mean it's always the director's call, you know, and that's part of their job. But also, I think it's part of the composer's job to, I mean, you're there to provide expert counsel. You're there to be a consultant, you know, to help them make the right choice. And at the same time, you can't do that coming from your ego. You have to come from the service of the story and helping the director make the right choice. And that's the bottom line. It's also your job to provide more music than they ultimately need. Mm. Because, you know, in a, in a final mix of a film, that's really where, no matter what a director says about what they think, they don't really know until they get to the final mix and they hear the dialogue and the sound and the music in its final form all together. And then they're with their, you know, their producing partners and things, and they have a chance to really consider what's needed in this scene. And sometimes, you know, they realize, oh, we don't need music, or we don't need as much. Maybe the music goes out here. You know, and those are and those are decisions that they need to make when they have the complete picture. So what you want is for them to be able to choose to not have music if that's what they want to choose. It's much harder for them to say, you know, wouldn't it be great if we had music here? Because by then, it's much harder to do it the other way. Yeah. So I'm, I don't often advocate for no music just because it is my job to do music. But just because I provide the music doesn't mean I expect them that they have to use it. Let's put it that way. Interesting. And, and that makes sense because, like you said, the, the flip side is, hey, we need music. And you go... All right, well, now I've got to yeah. start from scratch. And then once it's written, I've got to, depending on the style, I've got to you know, find the orchestra, find the session players, et cetera. And as we know, films often run on pretty tight timelines already. Exactly. Like that, by the time they get to there, 
that choice is going to be, to make that choice would be extremely expensive. So you want to go in with more music than they need. Makes sense. Mike, it looks like, unfortunately, we're running out of time. Didn't get a chance to talk about landscape that much. I will just say you hear the first, you know, four seconds of that score with that theremin kind of floating in. And like I mentioned before, it, it also sounds so different. It's such a a fun, interesting listen as well. So you know, it's a, a very good back-to-back set of releases this year for you. Thank you very much, Nick. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. I appreciate it.